I'd like to send greetings to all of you. Uh, I pray that you're having a wonderful Sabbath, no matter where you are. I uh, I don't know all of your names. In fact, I don't know all of you. I haven't met all of you, but I have seen a number of people in the last year, the first uh, couple months of this year, down in Mexico City, and then up in uh, Canada, Mississauga, where I had pastored before. We had new people there, and then went on to uh, the Philippines and I thought, uh, or my thought, and Thailand and numerous places in South Africa, Lesotho, and I, I saw some pictures of some of you just recently, and it was very gratifying to see those pictures and to remember uh, you, and in, in, at least in my my thoughts and my prayers, and do appreciate all of you and love all of you, the ones who I've met, and I'm sure the others as well, if, if you're anything like the ones I've met. So greetings to all of you. Before I get into the message, though, I've been asked to make a couple announcements here just to put a little more emphasis on them. And the first one is that we want to have a virtual choir for all of our festival sites this year. And we still need volunteers from other parts of the world. So wherever you might be, even if you don't sing that well, we can lower your voice a little bit. But uh, we can mix you in with everybody else and we can make a joyful noise and we would love to have you help out in that way. So be sure to get that uh, recording in as soon as possible. We need this really right away. And if you have any questions, check with your minister. I'm sure he can give you <clears throat> the information on how to do that. Uh, also, we still have uh, a couple spots open for any young fellows who would like to come to the on-site living education program this year where you'll live in a dorm with other young fellows and just across the short distance the girls are going to be there you know our young people can't quite get it together because last year we had a bunch of fellows and only a couple girls and this year it's just the opposite so uh fellows if you want to know where the girls are this year it's right here in Charlotte, so we're encouraging you, and just check with your minister or give uh, a call to Mr. Jonathan McNair. I'm sure we can work you in. It seems like his father, Mr. Jonathan McNair's father, if I recall correctly, or maybe it was his, a couple of his uncles, uh, showed up to talk to Mr. Herbert Armstrong uh, like the day before Ambassador College started, and he, he recruited them right there on the spot. So we'll try to recruit any there, and we, uh, we look forward to uh, more here on site and wonderful opportunities. If you have any, any questions on that, then please follow through on that. But I'd like to send a special greetings to all of you around the world and a very special greeting to our teens and staff at the Living Youth Program there in Texas. Uh, today's the last day. They'll be leaving for home tomorrow. Uh, then we have the Wilderness or Adventure Camp coming up in a week for our teens up in Wisconsin. I was able to attend the adventure camp last year, a canoeing trip in the wilderness area in parts of, uh, you say the wilderness area. There's so much wilderness area in Canada, but a very, very beautiful area there and enjoyed that so much. And I know that our teens are going to enjoy that and good outdoors and be paddling those canoes and sharing their lives together in that way. Uh, we certainly live in a darkened world, and this year at the Living Youth Program in Texas, their theme was from Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 14, you are the light of the world, and we truly are the light of the world. If we believe that, that means that we truly are the light of this world. 
They were a light in a very, very darkened world, and this world is getting darker by the day. Over in 1 Thessalonians 5, I'd like to turn over there. Uh, our young people probably have heard every scripture possible on this subject, but maybe not. And I'm not going to just repeat what they've heard there at the uh, summer program. But I thought it would be a good jumping off spot for us. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Paul said, I don't have a need to write to you, but I'm going to do it anyway. I want to remind you of certain things he was saying. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, this is not talking about a rapture, but he's talking about how it's going to come unexpectedly on the world. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. There's going to come a time in the future when it looks like Man's problems are solved, and that's when it's really going to come crashing down on this world. But you, brethren, he says, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are the sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now that really says a lot, that we are not of the darkness of this world. And yet, there's such a pull in this world to get caught up in the darkness of this world, to somehow think that we can change this world. And I know that Mr. Munson spoke on that, and I th believe it was the first Christian living class, being lights to the world, not getting caught up in the movements of this world, but being an example to others. Today I want to talk about the theme of our Living Youth program, of being the light of the world. And I'd like to give you two critically important questions that each of us need to be asking ourselves at this time in mankind's history. And these questions are critical. They may seem rather obvious, the answer to them, but you know, sometimes it's easier to understand the answer than to live the answer and to put it into practice. You know, there are times when things are just going along fine and you don't think one way or the other about a question, but it's only when things get rough that people need to sometimes answer these questions or ask and answer these questions. We should ask and answer them all the time, but there's sometimes when they become very critical to us. And the first one is, do I have faith to believe John 18:36? This was when Jesus was on trial before Pilate. And uh, he says here in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus said this is not his kingdom, not in this time. If it were, his disciples would fight to preserve him in that position. But he said he didn't need that. This was not the right time. Over in Daniel, the fourth chapter, going along with this, there's an important passage of Scripture again we read these verses from time to time. Uh, we talk about the, the, uh, the book of Daniel, many different things, about Nebuchadnezzar and his dream and all that sort of thing. But do we apply it in our lives? Here in verse 17, uh, Daniel says, This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High 
rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. Now, if you want to know why we have certain leaders and rulers in this world, we have it right there in the Scriptures. And it says that God is the one who sets people over the nations of this world. Perhaps sometimes he just lets it go along, but when it's critical, when time is important, he is the one that steps in and causes certain people to come to the top and certain people not to come to the top, or he allows Satan to do it. However he does it, we don't know, but he is the one that rules. He is the one that determines these things. And you know, that's why we don't vote, because we don't know who God wants in office. This year in the United States, we have an election coming up. And there are those who are very pro-Trump and those who are very pro the Democratic Party, Mr. Biden. And Mr. Trump looked like it was all going his way just six months ago. Six months ago, it looked really good for his reelection. And then look what happened. You know, God is able to change and turn things just like that. He's able to turn Satan loose to change attitudes if he wants that to be done. But God is the one that ultimately is in control. And he can bring down this country or any other country or the whole world with one leader or another leader. It's just how he's going to do it. But we don't know. I don't want to vote against Christ. That's why I don't vote. Never have and never will. Not in this world in terms of politics and that sort of thing. We just don't do it. So do you really believe that God needs your help? Now, there are many people out here who claim to believe in Christ, and they're getting out the vote because they are desperate to get their man in, thinking they can save America. But it is our sins that are bringing us down because of our transgressions of God's law. It's going to happen no matter who is in office. God is going to work it out. He's going to allow it to happen. Over in Philippians, the third chapter, Philippians 3. These are very familiar scriptures, but the question is, do we believe them? Do we have faith that what God says is true? Philippians 3, verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Yes, brethren, that is what we hope for. Our citizenship is in heaven. That doesn't mean that we go to heaven, because it says there, you know, from which we eagerly await for the Savior. He's coming back here. When I lived in England, just a few years ago, uh, I had both U.S. citizenship and Canadian citizenship, but I wasn't in the U.S. or Canada at the time. I was over in England. That's where our citizenship is reserved. It is God's kingdom that we are members of. And notice what it says over here in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. And again, very, very famous uh, for all of us. Uh, it says here in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are ambassadors of a very different kingdom. Now, ambassadors have opinions about the country they live in. When we send an ambassador to some country around the world, not only does he have an opinion about things, but he may write back, in fact, no doubt does, as part of his job to write back to his home country, how things are going in that country. So he may have some opinions, but he doesn't voice those opinions publicly. He doesn't uh, lobby against that country. Uh, he, he just reports on it. He represents that country. And that's quite a job to be an ambassador because oftentimes they have to hold their tongue. They have to be very careful. They have to smile sometimes when they, they may not feel like smiling. But they have to deal with that country in an honest way, representing the country that they come from. If we believe this, if we truly believe this, why do we try to transform or reform Satan's world now? That's a question that our young people were asked us last week. Are we here to transform or to reform this world, or are we here to be examples of a different world? And that's something that every single one of us need to know, not just our young people, but even more so in many cases, those of us who are older, because we have people that get caught up in a lot of carnal uh, ideas, worldly ideas that are not godly ideas. We're very thankful for the freedoms we have, for example, the freedom of religion, freedom of speech, but at the same time, as I've written in an article that will be coming out, uh, is that, or maybe it's a telecast, I don't, I don't, someplace, no, I guess it's a, it's a DVD. I get lost in writing all these different things, but you'll be hearing about it sometime down the road. Uh, is freedom of speech, is freedom of religion a biblical values? And the answer is no. When you look at the scriptures, after Christ returns, there's not going to be freedom of religion. There wasn't supposed to be freedom of religion under the Israelites, but they didn't follow through and look what happened to them. Now, in the hands of man, I'm glad we have freedom of religion. I'm glad we have freedom of speech because for the work's sake, that's important. But in the kingdom of God, do we have freedom of speech to curse our parents? to use pornography or to speak pornography or pornographic words? Uh, can we badmouth the leaders that are in the millennium? Not according to the Word of God. So we need to understand that while we appreciate some things we have, we need to be very careful how we get caught up in some of these things. Uh, the Second Amendment here in the United States, the right to bear arms. Well, uh, there are people that get caught up in that and are supportive of that, that very idea. Is that something that you and I need to be involved in? You know, it's good to be a good neighbor. It's good to help those around you when you see a need, to be able to fill that need. But when we get caught up in movements where everybody's getting on the bandwagon, that's when we need to be careful and not get caught up on the bandwagon because those things Satan so easily twists and turns to his advantage, to what he wants. So that's the first question. Do I have faith to believe John 18:36? what God says there? And the second question for us, a very critical question is, do I have faith to believe Ephesians, the first chapter, and verse 22? So let's turn over there. Ephesians, 
1 and verse 22. I'll read verse 22 and 23. It says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, Dr. Merrith read that from time to time. It was so important. It says here that the Jesus is the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, the head controls the rest of the body. And it says here, according to the Apostle Paul, he says that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the one that controls the body. That's easy to accept intellectually until we have a disagreement, until we think that, oh, well, uh, Christ isn't able to lead his church. You know, Mr. Armstrong made the point, he said, I've made hundreds of mistakes. And I know that Dr. Meredith felt the same way, and I certainly feel the same way. I haven't had enough time to make hundreds of mistakes in the capacity that I'm in here, although some may think so. Uh, but I, given enough time, I'll be there. I'll catch up with them if I live long enough. I used to tell all the uh, campers when I was over the summer camp, the, that program I worked there for uh, 25 years uh, uh, at Orr, Minnesota, and uh, on into uh, Big Sandy, Texas one year, and, and the Global and then Living Church of God, and was over the, the program for 11 years, and have been involved the last uh, several years, uh, off and on, uh, the adventure program last year and over in Europe uh, one year. But, but I always said when I had the responsibility of giving the orientation, I, I would tell everybody that they're going to make mistakes. These are the staff members, the counselors, the other staff members. You're going to make mistakes. We understand that. But you won't make as many mistakes as I'm going to make or have made because I've been working at this for several months. For six months, I've been working on this, and I guarantee I've made some mistakes. You can't catch up with me. Mistakes are going to happen. But as I always told the, the campers, or the not the campers, but the staff, but when we have a clear directive, when we have something that is spelled out is this you don't, do not do, and you go against that, we lose confidence in you because we have nothing upon which to base that relationship. So when we had a staff member who was on the canoeing staff uh, and decided to go out into an area of the lake that we said stay away from, that was a violation of that. We had nothing, no way to, to really work with that person, although other things came up before we even found out about that. We had a fellow up in Orr, Minnesota, that was told not to go down this, that go down the river, but to portage around these areas, the Hay Rapids and Lady Falls, or Lady Rapids and, and Hay Falls, to, to portage around those areas. And he decided to go down on his own, and we had several canoes uh, that tipped over, and a lot of equipment was lost. Well, how do you work with someone like that if they're not going to follow through on the directions they've been given? So. We make mistakes. We all do, don't we? But we have to be careful that we don't violate uh, clear directives. In uh, Ephesians, the first chapter, as we uh, just read there, uh, that Christ is the head 
of the body or the head of the church? Do we believe that he is going to guide his church? Or has his church suddenly not be, been become his church? Did we suddenly go off the, the rail as, as worldwide did at a certain point? Mr. Armstrong said that God never allowed him to make a mistake that would ruin the church. Now, some would say that, well, when he appointed Mr. Koch, that was a case. But it was God's way of cleaning up the church in many respects. And there were a lot of people that hadn't been tested, hadn't been tried, or uh, that had gotten off track. It became a social club to them, as opposed to the body of Christ that was to do the work of God. And God cleansed his church. So even there, I don't think I would say that that was a mistake. God allowed that to be done for his purpose and for his reason. In Colossians, the first chapter, Colossians 1, we have corroborating evidence that Christ is the head of the church. Uh, verse 15 of Colossians 1, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Wow! Can you imagine? Who's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus Christ. He created everything visible and invisible. You know, creation we just take as, uh, we're here. We know it. Uh, Mr. Ames and I have both quoted from uh, Bill Bryson in A Short History of Nearly Everything, where he talks about the improbability of life and how in our human bodies there may be as many as one million different kinds of proteins. And, and our whole body is made up of proteins, little machines, because that's what they are or they're either a machine itself or a part of a machine. There's one that, a protein that spins around at the speed of a jet engine, and it separates the DNA into two different strands. And then another one copies them. And, and all these amazing machines that are whirring about in our body all the time, and we don't even think about it. I'm reading Bill Bryson's next book on the body, the human body, just called The Body. And, you know, in his first book, he said the chance, the odds of a single protein of, of 200 letters, like a, a sentence that has 200 letters in it, coming together in a meaningful way. And just think about taking the letters of the alphabet, just take 20 of the letters of the alphabet, put them in a bag and keep pulling them out and, and a certain, until they come out in a specific sequence, you know, one after the other after the other, 200 in a row, and the odds of that being 1 in 10 to the power of 260. That's 1 followed by 260 zeros. But that's just one medium-sized protein just happening to happen. And collagen, which is the most common protein, has 1,055 amino acids. That's how many letters would have to be strung together in a perfect sequence to make collagen. But in his newest book, he talks about, he just mentions it briefly, the largest protein in our body. How many, how many amino acids do you think that has? Well, try 189,000 
800 and, and some, I forget the rest of the number. What are the odds of something like that happening? You know, our bodies are made marvelously and wonderfully, and, and I just marvel and wonder, how did God do it? How could God do it? I'm not doubting he did it. I believe he did it. I'm just amazed because you could take all of the, as Bryson says, you could take all of the smartest people in the world today, the greatest scientists, or who have ever lived, and take all the fund of knowledge, science knowledge, and put it all together, and they couldn't make a single cell. Not a single cell. God is great. And he did it through Jesus the Christ. Now, do we believe that Christ cannot direct his, his church? As it says here in verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Makes it very clear. Firstborn from the dead. That is the one that did all these things. Visible, invisible, everything that is out there in the universe. He is the one that made it. And Paul tells us, by inspiration of God, that he is the head of the body, the church. Over in uh, verse 24 of the same chapter, Colossians 1:24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. The body of Christ is the church. He is the one that directs it as the head. And then in verse 16 of chapter 2, we read this, <clears throat> and the first thing we always do is explain what it doesn't mean, because the world says that it means something that it doesn't, and there are problems with the translation, very, <clears throat> very, clearly, <clears throat> very clearly so. It says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body, as it should read, even the margin says body, because it's the same word that is used in the first chapter where it speaks of Christ, the head of the body. It's soma, and it means the body, but the body of Christ. In other words, don't let someone come along and judge you regarding these matters, because this is what was happening in the church at uh, Colossae at that time, that there were some saying, well, you shouldn't eat this or you shouldn't drink that, especially in regard to a, a new moon or a Sabbath or a holy day. Uh, these are to be sobering occasions, and you shouldn't enjoy too much there. We don't know all the details of what it was, but we do know that it was, it was kind of a pre-Gnostic idea of asceticism. And we know that because of what follows in verse 19, or verse 18. He says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. This had to do with the type of Gnosticism. Uh, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So often pride is involved in these things. And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. So he is the head of the body. And then it shows about the basic principles or the elemental spirits of this world. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle... In other words, there were individuals who were coming in and they were trying to tell the Colossians how they should uh, conduct themselves in, in ways that were different from what the Apostle Paul had instructed them in the beginning. You know, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, back in the month of March, we had the Council of Elders in. We had the uh, 
a general ministerial conference scheduled for the middle of, of uh, March there. And we canceled it at the last minute. And, you know, I, I'm thankful we did because things deteriorated very rapidly there. But we didn't cancel it until the last minute, and that made things work out because we weren't on hook for tremendous, uh, tremendously high payments that we would have been responsible for had we canceled earlier. We might not have been able to get out of those. So God allowed us to uh, delay that decision until uh, very late in the game. But Mr. Uh, Richard Ames made a comment during that time, and I, perhaps it was the last meeting that we had. He said this, meaning this crisis is going to be a test of the faith of God's people, whether they believe that Christ is the head of the church. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. This is going to be a test of the church, whether people believe that Christ is the head of the church. That was... Uh, you know, he could see that. He could foresee that. It was, in a sense, prophetic. I don't mean he's a prophet. I just that he could foresee that. And I think that a lot of us could. Because when you run into a crisis, decisions have to be made. They have to be made quickly in some cases. And sometimes those decisions change as circumstances change. And thank you, brethren, all of you who have been patient with us as we've had to make adjustments. You know, the, the feast we recognized very quickly, if this coronavirus is still around, there are going to be all kinds of government regulations coming in. There are going to be venues that have their regulations or venues that shut down. And we realized very early that it was important that we have more sites closer to home uh, for reasons that we didn't even fully realize at the time. But some states are blocking people from coming into another state. Some places like in Australia, you can't move from one territory to the next. So we have five sites over there. Now that may all change at the end, but we have to look ahead and be prudent to see the danger in advance. And we made that decision. And you know, there were some that didn't agree with that decision because they thought, well, we just have the feast like we always have. Well, there are others that took that approach and are scrambling to try to uh, work things out in, in their own way now. Uh, if we have faith that Jesus is the head of his church, why do we have disputes over how to conduct the feast this year, over masks, singing hymns, or whether to hold camps? I, I received uh, several, not a lot, but I received a number of emails from people saying, why are we holding camp this year? And look what's happening in Texas. And, and you know, I, I'm not criticizing everybody who, who wrote me because I know at least one person was just genuinely concerned, had, I think, relatives that are going there, and, and he was very concerned about his family. And we went, wrote back and forth very cordially. And I don't criticize somebody for asking that question. Now, not all emails were so diplomatic or so uh, come from some such a humble uh, uh, attitude, but uh, nevertheless, there are always these situations where, what do we do? Well, we we use wise counsel. We look at the scriptures as best we can to find out what is the scriptures might give us on something like that. Let's go over to Deuteronomy 17. Here is something a principle Deuteronomy 17 that I think is is really important for us. Deuteronomy 17. 
And I'm going to begin in verse 8. Now, this is the Old Testament, but we'll get to the New Testament here in a minute. It says, If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt or bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates. Now, do we have anything that is a matter of controversy here in the United States? I don't know if it's the same way every place, but boy, here in the United States, we have matters of controversy. It is so confusing. There are so many experts on all sides. There's so much politics thrown into the whole mix that, that I'll, I'll say this. There are questions are, that are asked that I don't know the answer to. I know that we have to make decisions. We have people in the church who won't go to the feast if people aren't wearing masks. We have others who may not go to the feast because they have to wear a mask. It's interesting at Halloween, when they used to keep Halloween, they didn't mind wearing a mask. Uh, if you were in the trenches of World War I and a gas attack, you, you probably wouldn't mind wearing a gas mask. You know, it's amazing how the world creeps into the church. All of this politics, people are so polarized in this country, probably more than other countries, but not entirely. But in this country, we're so polarized that we have people coming into the church with all these strong opinions. It has to be this way or the highway. You know, here it says that there are these things that are matters of controversy. They're always going to be matters of controversy, brethren. Because God did not make us like yellow pencils. Sometimes people say that, well, I heard there's controversy in the Council of Elders. Well, I tell you, there's very little controversy in the Council of Elders, but there are different opinions that come forward. And, and we try to seek the truth and the, the, the best understanding of something. And most of the time it becomes clear. But I've gone into our council meetings thinking one thing and come out thinking something else because there were sides of the coin that I hadn't seen before. But we, we do that because we come from different backgrounds, different understanding of different things. And when we have, you know, 14, 15, 16 people together there, and you have the wisdom of, of decades in the church, it, it, it's, there's safety in that, as the scriptures tell us. A multitude of counsel, there's safety. And so there are going to be issues of controversy. And... Obviously, masks are controversial. Uh, everybody here is wearing a mask. I was wearing one before I got up here. Mr. Wakefield was, Mr. Uh, Strain was. Uh, everybody was wearing a mask before we got up here. And, you know, that's for everybody's safety. You're, you're wearing our mask to protect me as I'm speaking up here, and I'm spewing out all kinds of stuff. And hopefully your mask will work a little bit the other way around. But how much it helps, I don't know. Okay? I don't know. I don't have the answer to all that. And I don't know anybody that, well, there's certain scientists and they say they do, but then you find others that say something entirely different. Doctors and, you know, fighting back and forth. So the church has to make a decision. And we're not going to take a vote on it. We're just not going to do that. We get the best advice we can. We make a decision and we work with it. Here's what it says. Verse 9. And you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of the judgment. So either the Levites or the judge, depending on what kind of a controversy it was, 
you were to come to them, and they would pronounce a judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounced upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. So in the place which the Lord chooses. In other words, in a place of constituted authority within Israel. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. You should be careful to do all that they order you. According to the sentence of the law in which they instructed you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man, verse 12, who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priests who stand to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. That's how serious a matter it was at that time. But we say, well, that was a physical nation. That was ancient Israel. Well, let's go over to Acts, the 15th chapter in the New Testament. Acts 15. And I think all of us are familiar. You know exactly where I'm going here with Acts 15. You see, they had a matter of controversy. And it was causing division within the church. And there were individuals who very sincerely, because of conscience, felt that you had to be circumcised if you were a man. And this was what they had been taught all of their lives. This is their experience. I don't doubt the sincerity of those individuals who felt that way, because you know what? They could go to the Scriptures and find Scriptures that supported their position. Now, I've often thought about this, because there are some Scriptures that are very, you can look them up, but there are Scriptures that look very much like, boy, you have to be circumcised. So I, I think about, what if I were there at that time, the first century, right there in Jerusalem with the rest of the elders? Which side would I have chosen? And you know, knowing me, I could very well have been on the wrong side of things. You know, I, I've, uh, Mr. Davis often says that, uh, you know, he, he, his daddy made a wrong turn. He should have come south here in Charlotte. I, I forget how he says it. But I've often thought that had I lived during the, the American Revolution, knowing just how I normally think, I probably would have gone to Canada. Well, I guess some other relatives, because there's Weston Road, there's Weston this, Weston that. In fact, the most wealthy person in Canada, at least when I was there, was was it George Weston? I forget. Uh, anyway, they own a, a chain of grocery stores. I'm thinking, how come we don't fit in the, the you know the family tree there somehow? But I would have probably gone north with the loyalists. Now, a lot of others would have stayed and thrown the tea in the harbor. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes we can be wrong. And sometimes when I've been wrong, it's when I really thought I was right. And we, we're all, we are all, all ought to be able to recognize that. It doesn't mean that every time we have a thought, we say, oh, I must be wrong. No. But there are times when we can be wrong. So here, they come together for a judgment over a controversial matter, circumcision of all things. Now, I would say that Based on the Old Testament uh, and the, the uh, importance of circumcision to the Jews of that day, that that was a far deeper controversy than whether I should wear a mask. 
I think we can see that, can't we, brethren? Isn't there something... I mean, this just came up. This was something these people had come up with their lives since the eighth day of their their birth. Uh, This was something that was a part of them. They didn't know it the eighth day, but uh, this was a part of of Judaism there. And they thought that a person had to be circumcised. But when they looked at all the scriptures that talk about uncircumcised of heart, and there's so many scriptures on that, then Peter finally stood up and Verse 7, he, he said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God used me to bring the Gentiles into the church. And he gave certain statements here. And then after that, everybody kept quiet except uh, Barnabas and Paul. They just told some of the good news of what was happening. And then James, who was the uh, presiding evangelist or uh, uh, individual there in the church uh, at Jerusalem where the problem had come from stood up and said, this is my decision. This is my decision. Now, did everybody immediately get on board? I I doubt it. I doubt it. But I think that eventually if they didn't, they probably would have been gone. You know, these are these are important things that we need to remember. Faith is exercised in many different ways. You know, there's faith to be healed. Some people have great faith when it comes to healing. There's faith to obey God when your job is on the line. I've known individuals who struggled with that, but eventually developed a faith to where they stepped out and they put their job on the line. And some of them, God worked it out there, and others, they got fired and they had to go elsewhere. And they may not have had the same income. In some cases, that God blessed them with more or a better job. There's faith to tithe. Some people don't have the faith to step out and tithe. And then there's faith to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And when the three young men there in uh, uh, you know, the palace, when they said, you do thus and such, we'll throw you into a, a burning fiery furnace, That furnace probably looked pretty hot at the time. Now, they didn't know the end of the story. And they said, God is going to save us. But if he doesn't, but if he doesn't, let the king know that we're not going to serve your idols. I'm not going to bow down to your idol. That was their response to it. And God did a remarkable miracle for those men. And we read about them because they stepped out in faith in that situation. But we need to be careful about pridefully judging the faith of others. Does God, for example, if we get sick, to what degree do we use medical help? I've known people over the years. I, there was a case, I think, down in Florida. Somebody maybe down there who, who this ha- was the one that happened to had a, uh, a tendon break. And, and tendons don't just suddenly grow back. They just kind of bunch up like if you have a... Uh, a chicken leg uh, on a uh, chicken that was a, a, a stewing hen who uh, has laid a lot of eggs and is tough as shoe leather, and you try to boil it or something, and it just bunches up there. That's the way it is with, with a tendon. It doesn't just magically come back and attach, reattach, unless God is involved. Now, that happened to one person. I've known people 
known of people, I actually know one person and know of people that were diagnosed with cancer and they didn't do anything in terms of going to doctor, but God healed them. So does God need a doctor in every case? Of course not. But does that mean that someone who goes to a doctor, who has an operation, who maybe goes through chemotherapy or something along that line, does that mean that person doesn't have faith? Or is that person expressing faith perhaps in a different way? You know, I, I think if, if, if we stand back and we condemn somebody for the choices they make, we're out of line. We're out of line. That's, that's for those individuals. That's a personal decision that those people have to make. Does it mean that someone doesn't have faith for weighing possible risks against benefits? Does it mean that someone doesn't have faith if they follow uh, the proverb, the 22nd chapter, verse 3, that says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished? Does it mean that we should, when it says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God, which Jesus said to Satan, does it mean if a person sees some evil ahead, he is a little bit more reticent? You know, some people are willing to charge into anything, and others are a little bit more thoughtful. You know, God can honor both individuals without us saying that well, one is reckless and the other is faithless. We don't have to see it that way. Does it mean that someone who refuses to wear a mask, that he's duped by a government conspiracy? Or he lacks faith because he's wearing a mask, because he's trying to help to whatever small degree he can to help others? Are we going to become the MCOG, the masked Church of God? Or are we going to become the unmasked Church of God, the UMCOG? I sure hope not. I hope that that's not where we're going to be. Let me give you some benefits of wearing a mask. And these are some that you may not have thought of. These are solid benefits that we can absolutely prove for fact, okay? So anybody that's a doubter, please listen up. You don't have to put on your makeup if you're covered with a mask, okay? If you're a teenager and you've got those little pockmarks, zits, they call them sometimes, or blemishes, you can cover them with a mask. You know, if you've just had dinner and you happen to be eating broccoli and you get a piece of broccoli stuck between your front teeth, I remember a portfolio article from somebody in Big Sandy, a hilarious article where this fella went out on a date and when he got home he realized that the whole time he had a piece of broccoli stuck between his front teeth and every time he smiled, his date didn't smile. Well, a mask, you don't have to worry about it. I told you I'd give you... You know, those are three things that I can guarantee work. A mask will cover it up. So maybe we can have a little fun with this sometimes. You know, kids and wearing masks, if you allow them to be a part of the process, maybe you make the mask for them and they get to choose the material. Uh, somebody gave me, some somebody here, uh, a picture of uh, her niece, and it had watermelon on it. That's the one that she chose. In some parts of the world, wearing masks are just normal. They, they wear them all the time, not during COVID, but just all the time because of pollution and other things. But they can be a part of it. 
You know, we can have fun with these things instead of making uh, an issue out of them. Over in Romans, the 14th chapter, Romans 14 and verse 1. This is a, a passage of Scripture that we can all learn from. He says here, because there was a controversy in the church. There were those who would not eat meat and those who would. Now, I've spoken out against veganism, against the, the, the religion of veganism, of, uh, veganism. But there are individuals within the church who, for whatever reasons they are, and I don't have to know it and you don't have to know it, they choose not to eat meat. Maybe they came out of a Seventh-day Adventist background and, you know, after 50 years and they've never eaten They just can't even think about chewing into uh, a piece of chicken or something like that. And that's fine. And, and Christ tells us through his apostles, we shouldn't make ourselves the, the one to go up and, and say that uh, that person has to do this and such. He says, receive one who is weak in the faith. Now, when it says weak in the faith, weak in the faith in that particular area, the one he's going to describe here, it doesn't mean he's weak in the faith in other areas. That person may be full of faith when it comes to healing or stepping out in faith and tithing even when it doesn't look like it's going to work out. But not to disputes over doubtful things. There are some things that are doubtful. Now, I would say that masks are very doubtful. I don't know whether they work or not, but they can't hurt. Uh, well, then there are those who say, well, uh, you know, they, they have this health crisis. Look, there are people who wear masks all day long in hospitals, whether they be nurses or custodians or doctors. They wear them all day long, every day. And they don't die. I know that there's somebody sent something about OSHA. But uh, it doesn't seem like that's being enforced in our country right now, that, you know, the oxygen level or something. If, if you have a problem... Step outside, take a few deep breaths, come back in. You can do that. He says, one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. It's a vegetarian. And then it starts talking about how, well, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Just don't, don't despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, this is a passage that can seem very complicated because it sounds like, well, you just set any day aside that you want to, uh, that we're esteeming Saturday, others esteem Sunday. That's not what it's talking about because the whole context of this chapter has to do with what you eat. And some of the controversy was that they, they believed that certain days in the meat market, it may not have been offered to an idol, but other days it might have been. At least that's what we think. There controversy here. We don't know the whole context of it. But he's not saying that you can just worship any day you want because that's chaos. That's confusion. That's worshiping the sun. That's following the emperor. That's doing something that that we, we simply cannot do. We know all the Scripture says that that's not what it's saying here. But he says here, None of us, verse 7, lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? 
for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then down in verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Again, here's where people say, well, we can just eat anything we want to. Well, that's, the word there is common, ceremonially unclean. So that would tie into how something was uh, uh, put in the market, whether it was offered to an idol, whether it was uh, properly bled and all that sort of thing. Um, it says, you know, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are not, no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Down verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Don't destroy the work of God over things that may be disputed. All things are indeed pure, but to the, it is evil for the man who eats with offense. And he says, verse 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. You know, the greatest danger in the church, the church of God today, living church of God, is, as with the United States, it's not from without, it's from within. And the reason is because there is an evil spirit who wants to destroy this work right when it's really beginning to take off again. And I'll explain in just a moment. But let's notice over in Proverbs, the sixth chapter, there, there are a lot of things we don't know. I remember there was a controversy some time back. And honestly, I didn't know what the situation was. I, I, I You know, you can go into town, you can visit someplace, and you don't, you don't know all that's going on. But when one individual started dividing the church, I said, you know, I don't know what the cause of this was at the beginning, but I sure know that this is wrong. Over in Proverbs 6, in verse 16, it says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and several other things. And then the latter part of verse 19 and one who sows discord among brethren. God says he hates that, sowing discord among brethren. And so when we come to services and someone comes up and they, they try to lobby to get other people to think the way they do, contrary to the way that the church has, has come down on, the side the church has come down on, that's causing a problem. That's causing division. You know, Mr. Munson told the campers that right now their part in being a light to the world is setting the example. And, and how true that is. And we can set the example, as he pointed out to the campers, by the way that we live. By being a good example to them so that someday when they come up in the resurrection or someday when God opens their mind, which sometimes that happens. Uh, we, I know a man who's a minister today, but he was persuaded by his best friend in high school. Not by words, but by example. And yes, I'm sure there were conversations, but that sometimes does happen. But even if not, 
when Christ returns and the millennium comes, if they survive then, or if they come up in the second resurrection, they're going to remember you. And that's one thing. But notice over in John, the fourth chapter, John 4, verse 35, Jesus said, this is what was really important to him. Jesus said to them, verse 34, I'll read that, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. Both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. You know, brethren, we are sowing and we are reaping. I am so thankful for those people who sowed before I ever came along, during the 50s, the 60s, even before that. Because that message did go out. Not very strong where I was, because it was between San Francisco and Los Angeles, and to hear the program on the radio, it was really scratchy on, uh, uh, was it W... Um, Forget the name. It's it's uh, it's San Francisco, uh, some other geo, um, but somehow the brother of a friend of mine came to the knowledge of that truth, and I've told the story before, so I won't go into all the details. But that was my introduction to the truth, and and I would sit there listening to the radio program with my hand on the dial because we had. Uh, you know, slab-type uh, concrete floor with, with carpet on it. And my parents could walk down the hall, and my desk was right there at the door. I mean, just to the left of me was the door. And I didn't want to have the program on while they were, uh, if they happened to walk in uh, unannounced. And so I had my finger on the dial. And the first time I turned it off, and there was a click, so I realized that's not going to work. So I, I learned that I could just turn it off the station just slightly, and it would go silent. And I'd have the radio turned down as low as it would go. That's when I still had ears that could hear. And, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't really a strong signal to that area. But, you know, eight people came into the Church of God, eight young people, teenagers, or just outside of teen in a couple cases, came into the church at one time. Uh, I think I'm the only one left. But, uh, nevertheless, God was working with young people through a weak signal that came there. And we worked together. We, we communicated together in a positive way. You know, our example can be very important to those around us. And I hope that all that you learned this last week from, from the, uh, the teachers you had there at summer camp uh, will stick with you. And I hope that all of our people around this world will recognize the difficult times that we are in and that you will pull together, that we can pull together as a team. Read Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and how it is that we have unity. I'm not going to turn over there for lack of time, but read you know, Ephesians 4, verse 11, uh, where it talks about how God uses his ministry to bring us together in unity, that we not be going off on this tangent or that tangent. You know, Satan hates what he sees us doing, and he wants to divide us. He wants us to fight amongst ourselves. Brethren, let us not allow him to win that battle. Let's stick with Jesus Christ as our head. I'd like to just 
very quickly show you some of the positive things that are happening. Now, during the announcements, there were some television stations that were mentioned. But just to show you the scope of this, do you realize that between now and the end of September, 14 new doors on television are opening up to us just here in the United States? Atlanta, Georgia, Lansing, Michigan, Lexington, Kentucky, a second time on the national network of WGN. Z Living, another national network, just going on tomorrow. Z Living, Salt Lake City, Cincinnati, Miami, Fort, uh, Fort Lauderdale, two places in Milwaukee. We may keep both of them, we may keep none of them, we may keep one, depends on how it works out. Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, big market. Springfield, Illinois. CW Plus Network on Tuesday, as well as CW Plus Network on uh, Wednesday. Uh, that's in September. That's the end of September. We're already on CW Plus, and it's getting ter terrific results. We're going on different times, reaching a slightly different audience there. Uh, from our mail processing department, the week July 14th to 21st, we had 4,390 new subscribers just in that one week, 4,390. Now we'll lose some subscribers, but we're reaching brand new people. That's, those are new people, and they may represent a whole household. The Bible study course lesson one, July the 1st through the 21st, a three-week period, 9,063 plus another 3,000 in the database that I guess are ready to go out. Uh, not sure exactly on that, but uh, anyway, uh, we're seeing Huge increases in the Bible study course over in the UK, uh, in uh, Canada. A year to date, we've mailed, uh, mailed out in the US alone from headquarters, six, uh, 677,134 pieces of literature. That was a couple days ago, so it's over, the, over that now. You know, our Spanish YouTube channel, we're, we're very interested in the Spanish language and people in Central and South America and people right here in the United States and elsewhere in the world, Canada and elsewhere where we have Spanish-speaking people. El Mundo de Mañana telecast has two programs that are over 2.2 million views. One of them, one uh, Mundo de Mañana telecast has 1.8 million views. That's 1,800,000. And one has one and a half million views. And seven other programs have over a million views. And one that's very exciting to me, Mr. Richard Ames' program on From Sabbath to Sunday, right now is sitting at something like 957,000 plus views. That'll reach a million here. And that is a powerful uh, program, a powerful uh, booklet when people get that if they look into it. You know, in Canada, as has been pointed out in the announcements here today, French Quebec is going on a different station at a better time at 40% of the cost of where we were before. Instead of 6 a.m., it's, I think, 9, 9 a.m., much better time, and 40% of the cost. Uh, they're going on YES, that's a national network, and it's on the skinny package. Now, you may not know what that is, but if you're on cable, they have certain stations that are mandated to be on the skinny packet. So if you have any cable, you're going to get that. Our program on vision does not. It's not on the skinny packet. So this is going to reach a, a different audience, a much wider audience. 
uh, it was reported there in Canada, a tremendous increase in requests for the Bible study course this year. We've received more than 1,800 requests, which is more than in all of 2018 and 19 combined. Imagine that. Already, seven months, less than seven months, we've received more requests for the Bible study course than we did in the two previous years. In the UK, we're seeing... Uh, you know, a lot of requests, uh, again, for the Bible study course. And we've announced some of those things in the uh, weekly bulletin. New Zealand, a 42% increase at uh, 42% lower cost. The Philippines, we've gone off uh, CNN on another station, producing very good results for us. And Germany, we're communicating. Mr. De Simone and, and uh, Mr. Franz Baum and, and uh, Mr. Uh, Adrian Kafer, who was recently ordained, are working together on the website and trying to really produce more in the German language. Mr. Kafer has been doing all the groundwork for a long time, translating booklets and doing a lot of things, and now we're ready to really leap forward on that. India, we're having discussions on India as well, how we can move that forward. You know, all this involves real people, and I was going to read some comments here from people, but I'll just say I had one from Washington State, one from Lagos, Nigeria, from South Africa, from Cook Islands, from South Africa, Australia, and various other places around the world. People writing in, thanking us for the literature, thanking because it's free, because they couldn't afford it otherwise, and just enthusiastic about it. And we get a few of those. They're not enthusiastic and take us to task in whatever way, and that, that's good. It keeps us humble. But in John 4.35, let's go over there, John 4.35. The middle part, he says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Lift up your eyes. And Romans, the 13th chapter, Romans 13. It says here in verse 11, it says, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first, when we first believed. You know, it, it looks like it's getting close, doesn't it? Now, when I say close, it's, it's not going to happen tomorrow. But we may be shocked at how fast our country goes down. I think we will be because Scripture says it will happen suddenly. And we're only less than six months into this crisis of COVID and all that it has created. And then you had the um, George Floyd situation piled right on top of it. I, uh, you know, this is the, the cover article, The Perfect Storm. When that was written, that was before George Floyd. It was edited afterward, but basically we, did, we couldn't put that in there. And when you look at The Perfect Storm, that's exactly what we see. God is doing something here below, and Satan is trying to destroy what God is doing. So let us be lights to the world in every way that we can, by example, but also by trusting that God is in control and Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church.